Welcome to Buried Treasures. It's your boy Elgin.com, aka Elgin Swift. I'm here with my brother Jay Zone. What's yes, good, sir. brother? Ain't nothing long day, but uh, coming to the city twice in a day, that's hard when you live in the two fair zone, man. Like you're all your and you feel like you're Big Mario. Remember Super Mario Brothers? And then yeah. you turn into the little Mario when you run into a Goomba and you <laughs> shrink. Like you go all the way back to the edge of Queens. Word, that's I, how you feel. I was I was thinking that I was like, damn, you're like probably what 12 miles from the from this studio Where probably more about 16 16 but it feels like it's, it takes hours hours because of the traffic and if i take public transport it's just expensive and it's it's a long ride so i dealt with the subway today and i was like i can't do that twice i gotta i gotta push the ride so <laughs> Word. you know um but you know doing, doing what we gotta do because we love the music um that's it. We're doing it for the culture right like everybody say although i hate the fact that everyone says it but yeah we're really doing it for the culture yeah, I did, you know, I've been doing a lot of interviews. I interviewed the drummer from Cool in the Game, which was a lifetime achievement. I saw that. Um, which was amazing. And the funny thing is, like, when I was buying all those albums, I bought this Master Ace album, like, the same year. 1990 was a major year for me, um, for music. Dope. Like, it was going into eighth grade, so I had this funk background. And unbeknownst to me, like, all the records had samples that would eventually, that were getting used on these records, rap records at the same time. But, you know, I was, like, listening to it from a funk perspective because I played the bass, but then hip-hop was speaking to me about to go through puberty, mm. teenager. So it was, like, you know, I had this, the, between the funk and the hip-hop, like, buying records that are 20 years old and buying records that just came out, that, and there was, like, a, they were, you know, there was kind of, like, a, a blending of the two, mm -hmm. you know, and they lived on through the hip-hop. So I was discovering both at the same time. Dope. So I would buy a record, and then a week later I buy a rap record and hear the sample mm. on the record I just bought, not knowing that it was going to be on there. So, you know, like that was nineteen ninety was that crazy year of, of discovery, and there was so I, that's the year I have the ninety ninety one the hardest time coming up with albums because of that. And I always say rap is like generational. Like a kid who was born in nineteen ninety, like he's gonna say it. 2005 or 2006 what was the year so it's not right. like one year is better than the other you know like just different just different so you know we talk about 1990 just how many great albums there were that year you know it was like take a look around like you know just like the intelligent hoodlum yeah take a look around i mean you know the kane g rap i mean even the, the lesser known ubc and Seems stuff. like everybody had a dope album. Audio too, yeah. You know, um, but if if you know, you're wondering why he's saying 1990, and you know, specifically, we're gonna have an artist here today, and we're gonna talk about an album that I think is not only close to our hearts collectively, but probably a, the whole hip hop community. You know, we're gonna have the um, pleasure of having Master Ace here, yes. who's you know Master with an E R right before, before it was Master, master right was Master Ace. And we we got to ask him about that too. Yeah, got it. Well, I wonder why he did that. Um, yeah, you know, when we talk about you know this album, take a look around, and you know, I think about when I got the album, I I always re revert back to being in my bedroom with the with the double cassette deck radio that mm -hmm. probably was only like a twenty watt radio, but I had hundred watt speakers hooked up to it all over the room and listening to this album over and over and over and over again. And, you know, um, it was it's definitely one of those albums that aged well with time, you know, had a lot of variety in terms of 
what's on it, different subject matter, you mm-hmm. know, just really a complete project. And, you know, just one of those albums that I think doesn't get the credit. Definitely. And, which, is, which is what the basis of this podcast web series is really about. It's about those albums that people love but aren't mentioned with the obvious. And I think Take a Look Around is not only didn't get the credit it, des- it deserved just in terms of hip-hop i just think in terms of master aces catalog it doesn't mm. you know because like a lot of see because ace is an interesting artist like a because he has the, the longevity but b like it was also something i went through like where you have a you kind of hit not rock bottom but you kind of you have your 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 first run and you burn out and a lot of guys just don't come back and he he kind of i would say around the time of disposable arts he reinvented himself and he, multiple times he, multiple times and he was a hit in Europe, so that enabled him to travel and reach a younger audience. So a lot of the people who were, it's kind of like Doom, like, I, I we also got to ask him if he performs this stuff mm-hmm. when he does shows, just because so many kids were introduced to Ace through uh, Disposable Arts and Long Hot Summer, generationally, and then uh, geographically with Sitting on Chrome, you know, um, like the West Coast got into sitting on Chrome, right? Yeah, you, you know. So like, so, so take a look around is almost a different audience. Like, if unless you're like a super diehard fan, is it's it's like a different audience. Like what? people don't. It's almost like with Doom. Like if you bring up Mr. Hood to a to an mm. MF Doom fan, like it's almost a different. Like it didn't happen. Yeah, it's just like you know, would he perform Peach Fuzz? No, pro- I doubt it. That he probably he straight up doesn't, you know, because KMD with his brother, it was a different thing. But with Ace, it's the same thing. Like it was a different. It was the only one on Cold Chillin', and uh, it was the only one that didn't. It had Master instead of Master. Right. And it was just. It was almost like a shoot off of the Juice Crew thing. So it almost stands by itself. And I think because it's kind of isolated from the rest of the catalog, it's it's almost like it doesn't get the the same. Uh, recognition that even slaughterhouse or sitting on chrome yeah what's interesting too is it's not on spotify like when you look at his catalog because i was looking it up today because i have it on obviously i have the cd and i have it on Mm -hmm. my on my music library but i was like let me just see if it's on spotify and it's excluded from his catalog and i don't know if that's intentional for legal reasons you know but i think that's uh, something we'll get into but anyway we're glad to have him here today and um you know, let's get into it. Yes, sir. Welcome to Buried Treasures. Good to be here, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure, man. Thank you. I see. It's crazy. You still looking young, man. You, I was just about to say that. saying that. You got um, the you got the fucking formula. You see his Instagram, right? Yo, everything, everything young. Just like lightly grilled. This this and that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm like, damn. I see nothing but I see I see beta carotene. I see um, uh, antioxidants. It makes a difference, but ultimately, it's your genes. It's you know, it's the whatever your family had before you and all of that. So, I'm blessed to have good genes, I guess. And I just try to take care of myself, you know. Yeah, it's a lifestyle. It's important. If I was wilding in the '90s with alcohol and o- ODing with, you know, I mean, I had my fun, but I didn't OD. Yeah, it catches up I to you, I would look man. different. I would look it different. Really if I smoke cigarettes, you know what I'm saying? I never That'll smoked, get you. I never even smoked a cigarette. Fast so. food and cigarettes and no, not enough sleep. Yeah. Alcohol, people too. People alcohol underestimate sleep, man. If yeah. you don't sleep enough, mm. it'll it'll show quick. Absolutely. Word, but it's just good to see you living good. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, man. man. You, you know, staying young. Trying. See you. Not staying young. Well, <laughs> in, in, in mind and spirit. Mind and spirit. Hip-hop keeps you young, Well, hip-hop, to be... 
doing it like he's doing it. Like that's a rarity. We it's were just dope, saying before man. you came, like I, yeah. rap. This is like a fight. We were talking about how you, you. This is the master of reinvention. Yeah, that's an interesting statement. Uh, if I'm the master of that, that's cool. That's a good thing. It is, yeah. and that. it's not. It's not like contrived reinvention. It's almost like you're doing what you do, but it just manifests itself. Like you wanted to make an album, you know, with sitting on Chrome, and then it caught on the West Coast. You wanted to do a disposable arts and it caught a whole younger yeah. generation. You know, it's kind of like it's just it's 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 totally like a anomaly. Like just how how you've been able to just keep going throughout all the different right. phases to stay and is this is like a, you could probably name there's probably less than ten artists. Like everybody it's has to either run. become a DJ or go do mm-hmm. something else. Like he's still rhyming. Like doing so, like that's crazy. I was writing on the way here actually. Yeah, driving with some beats, rhyming what? and doing tour. You know, doing tours and, and it's just it's just a blessing, man. It's, but it's what great. what was before before you was rhyming? What was the young master Ace like? I was a DJ, man. I was DJ D. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was DJ D. Um, we had a little DJ crew. It was about five of us in the crew. Um, so there was a lot of fights over the turntables. Uh, Cause you know, we had only had a handful of break beats, so we was pretty much, if we put catch a groove on, that was on for like an hour, cause everybody had to get theirs. Mm. Um, and after a while, you know, being in a crew of all these DJs, I was really maybe like fourth best out of out of five dudes. So it 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 sort of forced me to try to try to find another niche, and and that was rhyming. I I, I discovered that and tried that out, and that kind of started working for me more. So was it something you felt like when you started doing it? Was it like you immediately felt like, yo, I'm nice at this? Or was nah. it? Nah. I mean, when I really, really first started, I was listening to the routines that Cass was doing in the Bronx and the different parties at, at, at uh, Harlem World and um, the rooftop. And I would get the, we would get those tapes down in Brooklyn. I would just listen to those. And then we would try to emulate them. Actually, it was a, a, a crew out of Queens, um, the Turnout Brothers. Um they had this dope routine that they did at a party and they played it on um I don't know if it's Supreme Team or Africa Islam Son of Ambada, but they played it on the radio WHBI one night. We recorded it and we we memorized that joint, like the routine. Mm. Um those dudes had a huge impact on me as a young kid wanting to rhyme and wanting to be fresh and you know, sound dope on the mic. Um I don't know if you know who the turnout brothers are. Okay, um, the 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 three members are Kid Cool Out, which is actually Kid from Kid and Play, mm. um, Ronnie Tough, which is actually Ron Amin Lawrence, who produced all the Bad Boy stuff. Two King okay. of the Cipher. Yep. Oh, dope. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And um, Original B, which is my man Bernard, um, who went on later to p- produce for for Puffy and Bad Boy. He did like some stuff with Danny D. Kane later on in in, in life. Mm. But those guys were impactful that that tape you know a lot of those tapes um i was emulating those what those cats were doing on those tapes um i would change you know the words to fit myself that's how i started off just kind of copying what i was hearing and put my name in it change a couple of lines yeah and then eventually it it led to me writing my own stuff seemed like a lot of people had that formula like i even remember like ice cube saying he would take run dmc lyrics and remix them make to, them a, to, to make them a West Coast version of that. Yeah, yeah. So it seemed like everybody. I did. Yeah, like I think that's yeah, like a natural did. path at that yeah. era. You just you, you don't have a you don't have a style yet, so you just gravitate towards what you like. And when you learn to do that well, it just kind of seeps into Dope. into what you're doing. Um, you've always been also a, a huge football fan, 
and you play football. So yeah. um, we both Eagles fans, by the way. Yeah. Ah, yes. yes. <laughs> and um, well, first of all, you were from Brownsville. Brownsville, man. So, Howard Houses, the projects. Howard Houses, but you went to Sheep's Head High. You didn't go to Jeff. I went, it's so great that you said that. I have a song on my new album about that exact whole situation. Yeah. Um, the first line in the song is, my mom said, ain't no way you going to Jefferson. That's a school where kids be sneaking their weapons in. Yeah. That was either, it was Maxwell. Well, no, Maxwell was across the street. That's the next school I mentioned on the song. <laughs> yeah. Mm, I swear. Yeah, Maxwell and Jeff are, are, are right across from each other. And then there's like transit, it's transit tech now. Yeah, it wasn't that then. It wasn't then. that then. Uh, it was uh, East New York High. East New York High School. Yeah. And you know, you know, but you played at Sheep's Head. So was that like a football scholarship? Or, it wasn't a scholarship. Like a scholarship. It but was, you know, you know, cast with. Sometimes if you were nice, they would let you. The one thing, nah, I wasn't nice. I, I didn't. I, I hadn't played organized football until I got to high school. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to play for the Renegades, which was kind of like the, the neighborhood, you know, uh, pop Warner team. Mm -hmm. It was either the Renegades or the Whipsticks. When the Renegades was the small kids, I wanted to play with them, but you had to bring your own helmet. And back then, you know, Rydell was the helmet to have. Mm. And Rydell helmets was like $100. My mom was like, we don't got that. Like $100. I can't, I can't spend it on a football helmet. So I never got to play Renegades. Um, so I went into high school green, like only playing neighborhood uh, football in front of the building in the dirt with the glass. Red cars, the end zone. With jeans on, you know what I'm saying? Um but that's how I, that's how it was, man. We played some serious games out there. Uh, dudes getting banged up, and it was rough tackle, no holes barred, straight rocks and grass, and we was going at it. Wow! And what brought you to Sheep's Head? Because that's a little bit further down. It was way out. Um, yeah. Basically, um, I wasn't supposed to be going to high school in Brooklyn. Um, my mom had uh, moved out to Atlanta. She had a job opportunity that looked real promising. And so the summer after my I graduated from junior high, um, she told me that you're going to be going to school in Atlanta. I'm about to get this job down here, and you're going to be moving to Atlanta. So I was like, cool. Um, I had actually taken the test for, for um, Brooklyn Tech and for Bronx High School of Science because I was a pretty smart kid. Um, but... Uh, my my school didn't do a good job of teaching the algebra to me. So when I got to that portion, I I did well on the English portion, but on the math portion, um, I got uh, about 10 points, 15 points lower than what was required to get into Brooklyn Tech. Um, Bronx High School of Science, they, they, they scores was out of here. Like you had to be like a damn genius, genius to go there. Yeah. Um, but I was like right there to get into tech, but the math score was a little low um, and not my fault. Definitely my junior high school's fault. So they said, well, if you go to summer school um, and get your get your math grade up, um, you can go to tech in the, in the fall. So I was like, cool. Um, I started going to summer school. I was going to Brooklyn Tech every day. My mom's gave me that information. You're gonna be going. To, you're gonna be going to school down here in Atlanta in the fall. But go ahead and just go to the, go to summer school. And you know, still just you know, I was like. If I, what, what I'm doing this for? I'm not going here. <laughs> so I start I, I started missing days, and I really wasn't doing the homework. I, I I didn't I didn't see the purpose. Like I wasn't gonna be going to the school, so I really slacked off. Come to find out, the job fell through. I didn't pass to go to Brooklyn Tech, and now mm. I'm stuck with no school. Mm. And it's like, so what are you gonna do? Um, 
when you when you first um, graduate from junior high, they give you this list, and they basically get, it was I think it was like ten schools. You you could you could just basically circle ten schools that you might want to go to, um, and so I circled a bunch of different schools. Sheepshead Bay was maybe like third on the list or something like that. First couple of schools were were already full. Um, Sheepshead Bay wound up being the the by default the school I went to, but it had to be a football school. That was my thing. Like I knew I wanted to play high school football. Wow. And um, you know, you did that and um eventually, you know, you went to URI for, for college. Yeah. Was it, Pro- yeah. was it Providence or you No, URI. You went to URI and that was that a football scholarship or was that It wasn't a scholarship. Um it was an aspiration. Um I was a pretty good high school football player. I wasn't all city. Um I wasn't, you know, anything all world, anything, but I was a good player. So I figured um, let me pick a school. Division two felt like it was below me. So I was like, I got to at least go one double A. So I applied to all these one double A schools. Uh, URI was on, was, I, I was accepted there. The plan was freshman year. My mom was like, yo, just do school freshman year. Get, in, get, get, get acclimated with college life, college academics. Once you get comfortable with that, your sophomore year, you can go out for the team. So I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna follow your rule. And to my surprise, because I thought I thought like football was oxygen to me. Like I didn't think it was possible to go a year without playing. I went that whole freshman year and didn't play, and didn't miss it. Mm. Um, at the same time, I was actually getting to see the dynamics of what college athletics was like, because you know I knew a lot of the players on the team, um, and I saw almost like a cutthroat mentality, where um, if a guy played your position. You you know you almost had beef with him. You don't you don't mm-hmm. like him because he's trying to take your spot. He want to see you shine. Yeah, it wasn't like high school. Like it was camaraderie in high school. It was like a family atmosphere, family vibe. And when I when I got to see what you know college football was really all about, I was like, I don't think I like this. What position you play? I was a receiver. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I did realize when I got to that to that practice field because I did go out there for a day. Uh, I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. Dude, it was huge. Mm. <laughs> like, I would have been the smallest dude. Was you rapping in college, though? I was rapping. Um, there was actually a contest uh, at while I was in college. I think my junior year, maybe. They had a contest, um, and, I, you know, I rapped at the contest and stuff. like. I was already rapping, definitely. Right. Okay. And um, speaking of contests, uh, eventually something at a roller rink, uh, a skating rink, you won a contest. Was it in, was it in Queens somewhere? Yeah, United States of America. Um, Roosevelt, I think it was Roosevelt Avenue. Roosevelt Avenue. Okay, yeah. so what year was that that you won that competition? That was my junior year of college, so '87. Um, I was home for Christmas break. Um, it was actually uh, let's see, no '86. I'm sorry, Christmas break '86. About to go into the new year of '87. Um, my boy Scooter gave me a call. He rhymed too. He's like, "Yo, I'm about to go down to this rap contest um, down." in Queens you want to roll with me and enter I was like I want to but you know I'm here with family it's Christmas break we just ate whatever go ahead I'm good so he bounced as soon as, as, soon as I hung up the phone my mom overheard the conversation she's like why don't you go why don't you go you know it's we already ate everybody's watching TV ain't nothing really going on go hang out with your friend I was like for real alright cool jump back on the phone call him his sister answered the phone she's like oh he, he left already I was like, damn, can you, can you, like, see if you could catch him 
and she ran outside. I I hear her <laughs> yelling down the block, Scooter, Scooter. He's all the way down the block, comes all the way back. Yo, what's up? Yo, I'm, my mom said I could roll. Let's do it. Tell me where to meet you at, because I've never been to the United States, so I didn't know where I was going. He gave me the directions, met him, um, went down that night. It was my first time ever getting on stage by myself to rhyme. I had, I had been in groups all the time. High school, we had a little group. I was always with, it was five of us. It was always a bunch of people, so you could always kind of hide. But this is my first time actually getting on stage by myself in front of a crowd of strangers. And I did this routine. Um, it was a two-part routine. The first part, of the, the first sort of portion of it, rhyme was called Silver Suckers. And it was about, you know, because gold was the thing to wear. Mm-hmm. And but sterling silver used to be the thing to wear, but but sterling was like played out. Like you you couldn't rock sterling. It was just not <laughs> a go. And to my fortune, there was a dude in there with truck silver on. Like he had like mad silver mm. on. And we was j- cracking jokes about him all night. I was like, yo, I'm when I say this rhyme, he gonna get it. I said the rhyme, everybody's like, oh, he's right there, he's right there. Ah. They literally thought I was like going at this guy. So that part, so that that rhyme worked, and then the next part of it was this this routine called "A Hoe Is a Hoe," and it was basically based on Lottie Dottie, a story over a real simple kind of impeach the president, you know, uh, Doctor Rhythm program drum track, rhyming about a girl being a hoe and and with punchlines and with surprise endings. Lo and behold, I wind up winning um, the contest that day. I had to come back the following week. Um, it, it started off with like 30 people. They broke, and then the second week it was 10 people. I wound up winning the whole thing, and um, six hours of recording time was the was the first prize with Marley Mall. So, so you win the contest, you get the the six hours with Marley. Yeah. Which, you know, that's that at that time to me that's got to be like the equivalent of getting six hours with Kanye West, mm-hmm. basically. You know, it like, was, but second prize was five hundred dollars. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that it was with Marley. Like that wasn't that wasn't explained. The, that wasn't explained. Right. I- initially, it was sort of after I won, they were like, "Well, you know, Marley Mall is gonna be the one." That, I was like, "Oh, okay, okay." Um, it took me a year to actually cash in on that six on that six mm. hours. A year, a whole year. Went back to school. Yeah. I, went, I had to go back to school, but uh, they they gave me his number. I, I was I called him for an entire year. His sister always answered the phone. It got to the point where she knew who I was. Hi, Ace. And he no. was still living in Queensbridge. So I thought. Okay. Uh, she's like, no, he's not here. Uh, you know, sorry. After about a year of that, like, she felt sorry for me one day and was like, you know what? He don't really live here no more. Here's his real number. And she gave me his real number. And he was he had moved to Astoria. So I called him. I was like, yeah, uh, I won, I'm the dude that won the contest. You're supposed to you know, give me studio time. He's like, yeah, all right. Um, yeah, just meet me such and such date. Meet me at like one o'clock. He told me to meet him at the Brit- in, in the Queensbridge Projects. So me and Steady Pace got on the train, took went our way out there to Queensbridge, which was a little, little nervous because I'm from the projects and one thing we know is you can't be in no stranger just right. chilling in no projects like right. that. So we went out there though. That That's how determined we were. We sat on the bench right in front of this building and we were out there for a good seven, eight hours. Waiting. Waiting. Mm. Um, so we, we, if he said be there at 1, we was there at 12. Um, somewhere around 3, Craig G came strolling up like, what's up? He, I ain't never, never met him in my life. But I knew who he was from, I guess from, I don't, how, how would we have seen Craig G? 
He might have just introduced himself. I'm Craig G. Drop the I, Science wasn't even out yet. Nah. Um, Shout Rap was out, though. Shout Rap, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, he was on Craig G. I was like, oh, what's up? Yeah. So he's like, y'all waiting for Marley, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He always be having dudes on the bench like this, man. Damn. <laughs> so he sat out there with us for a couple hours just talking about everything. That's actually how I got to know Craig, like, that day. That that was our first, you know, day of, of, of getting to know each other and being friends. Um, eventually, Marley came rolling up like six. <laughs> he was at the car dealer. He had just bought a new uh, Lincoln Mark 7 or whatever. And, you know, so he was just off. He had forgot he even told me to meet him. But uh, eventually went upstairs and I recorded my first demo. Um, MC Shan was actually there. I met him that day. He actually had Shan in the room doing drum programming. I, I don't know if he actually, if I used that drum program or not, but I recorded this this song called... Um, it was a song called um, Power Move, uh, which I do have somewhere on a random cassette in some, some random bag or box in my house somewhere. But I recorded my first demo, and uh, he liked it, and he asked me to, to come back after the... I didn't actually do the six hours. I did like maybe three hours that day, and I had to come back for my other three. And my second visit, I'm there. We're about to start you know, recording. DJ Polo comes up. I knew who he was because he had a record out with this cat named MC Frost. And and the MC was named Frost. So he comes upstairs. He's like, yo, my man Frost went to jail. I got this new cat. His name is G. And uh, that was the day I met G-Rap, my mm. second time in the studio. Wow. Uh, later that day, they actually recorded um, It's a Demo right. right there in front of me, which I, I was like, I don't like this. This doesn't sound dope to me. Yeah, you like it. Because it was different. Like, nobody was sampling yet. Mm. It was new. That whole technique was new. I didn't, I didn't get the... The way the beat was clinch, clinch, clinch. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it, but I got it later. Like six months later, it was being played in Latin quarters, and I was like, I like this. This is crazy. So, wow. so when, so he invites you back a second time. You record some more. You meet some other people. Obviously, yeah. what's going through your mind? Are you feeling like you're making your way into something, or you're kind of not certain what is going to come out of this? You know, what are you thinking at that time? My, 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 my hope and my goal was just to. Get an actual record recorded and get it played on the radio. I, that, that's all I was trying. I just wanted to get my stuff played on the radio. One one joint, play on the radio. I'm happy. Um, I recorded a joint called Howard Park um, while I was um, recording with him too. And this was actually a joint off of Rock Creek Park, the Blackbirds joint, and it was a banger. That beat that he made off of that was crazy, <laughs> and he played it one day. He played it one day, world premiere. He put it on. It rocked all the way through. He never played it again. Mm. And uh, I know I never found out why or what happened or whatever, but it was a joint. I think if that record would have come out, my whole entire direction of my career might have been different. And did you have a copy of it? or I actually do have a copy of it. Wow. I have it on my laptop. So I got it from somebody, though. Somebody on uh, Facebook, I think. Said they had it. They had recorded it from that station or whatever. Man. That the night he played it, they had it. They they emailed it to me, and it's just in my laptop. I listen to it sometimes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's that's crazy. And then so how does the uh, we're gonna get into the the deal because uh, Letter to the Better was the first yeah single, but what was the Symphony before? It was before that. No, Letter to the Better was after Symphony. Yeah. Okay, so the Symphony came first. So yeah. you, you knew Craig from the bench. You knew G-Rap from the second time. This yeah. came. I mean, was, was it was rumor that Sham was supposed to be on it or somebody else was yeah. supposed to be on it? The day we um did the photo shoot for Marley Marlin Control, Volume 1, that's the picture on the back with us standing by the Learjet. Um, that was the first day I met, met Kane. 
Uh, I was already a fan of his from his his joint with Biz, rhyming with Biz, and getting to it. Those was like ill records to me. Yeah. Hearing him rhyme didn't sound like anybody else, and it made me sort of readjust my writing mm. um, because he was doing like Rakim did had that effect on me, and then when Kane came out, he had the same effect on me of okay, I I, I gotta I gotta step it up. I gotta be doing a little bit more compound words and more punchlines and whatever whatever. So that was my first time meeting him that day at the photo shoot. So I was actually excited to go see them record this record. They were doing this one final record. They were going to Marley's, Marley's apartment in Astoria, and they were going to record this last record for the album. Um, I really just wanted to tag along. Um, Marley was driving. Nobody else was driving except me. So they actually needed a ride to get help get everybody over to Marley's crib, so that worked out. Craig rode with me. Um, I think G and, and Kane rode with Marley in the Mark 7, followed them over to his crib, and I'm just there. Like, I just want to see dudes do what they do. Um, Shan was supposed to show up, but he jumped in his car. He didn't. He, he wasn't into the idea of going. He, he's like, nah, I ain't messing with that. Um, the story that Marley told was that Shan was like, he didn't want to be on a song with a bunch of New Jacks. I think Shan came out, you know, social media said that wasn't true, right. and he yeah, sort of... You know, rebutted what I said that Marley said and gave his own version of it. Whatever it was, he was supposed to be the fourth rapper. He decided not to. That's the bottom line. Did you have, was that verse that you had on there, was that a verse you already penned or something that you wrote on a spot? That was something I had already penned. Um, I, like, it wasn't planned for me to be on this record. So I sat there while the beat played over and over again, watching Kane, G Rap, and Craig write their rhyme. When it came time for the first person to, whoever was going to be first to go, there was sort of this hesitation, everybody looking at each other like, nah, you go first. Nah, go ahead, Kane. Nah, Craig, go ahead, Kane. Yo, G, you go. So Marley basically was like, oh, y'all dudes acting scared. Yo, Ace, you got a rhyme? Like, just warm the mic up. Like, these dudes is acting all funny. Go go spit something real quick. Lo- loosen these dudes up. So I went in there. I had, I walked around with 10 to 15 verses memorized because there was always battles going on back in the day. So you had to have rhymes ready. So that was just one of the one of the rhymes in my Rolodex uh, that I just laid down, just for the you know to break the ice. I don't think his original initial plan was to keep me on the song, um, but when he heard the verse and heard everybody kind of back to back, it just like he liked it and kept it. And I'm on a historic record by mistake. Historic, state. yeah. Like when, when the record was done and when y'all played it back, like. I knew it was good. Yeah, because like everybody know, like if you talk posse records, right? Like that's really the pinnacle. That's the that's the alpha and omega. Did y'all know, like, yo, we just did some real I knew. live shit. I knew, I knew, cause I I I hadn't been a part of nothing like that before, mm. and I knew that the beat was crazy. Um, it just sounded live. Like it was like this is this is gonna be great when this play. They played this on the radio, and then to find out they want to do a video, I was like, wow, this is. This is taking it someplace I never thought it would go. Did the cowboy outfits throw you off for the video? Nah, because I love my jacket. The jacket with the fringes was yeah, killed. Yeah, the tassels. Yeah, the tassels. <laughs> yeah, I killed it with the jacket. I so was happy. was you signed as an artist when you recorded the symphony, or was you still just out there trying to figure out what you're going to do? I was um, signed to be on the compilation album, so I signed that contract. Right. But so, I didn't sign. A, I didn't have an album deal yet. So you feel the symphony propelled you into a position to get that deal as an artist? It did, because... Um, there was now sort of fan recognition of who right. I was because my name was on the screen when I came through the you know saloon door. So all of a sudden, I was a commodity um, for Cold Chilling. And what they basically did back then was, even if 
they wanted to sign you, they would always have to test the market first by mm-hmm. putting yeah. out a single. Right. Single deal. So Pr- they had Prism. the label Prism, yeah. and Prism was sort of the testing ground for all artists. That's They, they did the same thing with Kane with um, Get, yeah. get, get into, into It. it. I remember the label on that. That's yeah. They had yeah. an ill label. Yeah. Yeah. The blue label. Yeah. yeah. So they so we recorded a song called Together. It was the A-side, and the B-side was a song called Letter to the Better. Yep. Yeah. And that was my first official, you know, debut, like not counting the compilation songs. That was my debut, and lo and behold, Letter to Better blew up ridiculously in the UK. B-side mm. wins again. It was also a lot, yeah. Together was a little bit more mellow, but Letter to the Better had that, I'm not gonna yeah. sample snitch on the air, but it had right. that, that break. Yeah. And it was just a It's one of those blow. get busy dance go crazy joints. Yeah, that in nineteen eighty eight you had a lot of nine, that was the flavor. And yeah. it was fast. Yeah, like that I was just telling somebody the average tempo around that time was like in like one ten. Like your average record. Like Kane was a little on the faster side with all them P. E. records, all the you know, all in the hundreds and yeah. rap just the tempo dropped. Each year, but by the time we got to 93, 94, it was like 20 BPMs less. Mm-hmm. But around that time, you had Queen Latifah with, with Dance For Me, which was basically the same loop, like yeah. the same feel. So it was a get up and go, and I guess it did well enough to get you your, your first album deal, which was to take a look around. And yeah. that's that's why we're here today to to discuss. A uh, little tidbit for you before you move on. Um, the Together song, you know, the the chorus, the, the singing, Together. Mm-hmm. The, those guys are the same guys that sing on the LLs around the way, girl. Oh, pure blend. Yeah, pure. Yeah. I could never think of the name pure of them. Blend. Dude. Yo, Thank Jay. You. Jay knows everything. You know like, what else pure blend sang on? I think they sang on "Funky for You." Nice yo, and smooth. I be mm, thinking that. that like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like yo, you're, you're really the, the Wikipedia Teddy, of this shit. Teddy, Teddy. Like, no, no, because yo, you know what it ridiculous. is. We're gonna get into this later. You have like a hard drive that you just remember everything. You wanna know why though? And we can get into this later. I'm going to ask him a question about this later. Liner notes. Because all these records were coming out when I was first allowed to use the Beeline bus. Mm-hmm. And I used to go to Mount Vernon, Yonkers, or Fordham, or even you know Jamaica was my grandmother's house. And you got like 30 minutes to an hour, and you're reading everything. And right. At that age, you're Yeah, you absorb it. That's right. That's so true. when you're reading liner notes... You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like everything comes in, and I was like, pure. And I, I used to hate singing on records, but they were pimpish with it. They were kind of smooth. I was like, nah. If they did a fucking hip hop Jeopardy, like you know what I'm saying? Like you would just clean up. Oh, I did. You know I did one of those, and up. I cleaned up. Yeah, That's you would clean story. up. We're, you we're would here to talk up. about take a look. <laughs> um, so you know, you you get your first album. Deal. When, when did do you remember when you signed the, the album deal and started working on that record? That was '89. It must have been '89. Yeah, it must have been '89. Um, there was a little discrepancy. With the signing, um, Lenny Fischelberg, who was the uh, general manager of the label, um, up to that point, each artist on Cold Chillin' had gotten an advance of $25,000 for their album. Um, when it came to me, um, they decided they were only going to give me 12500 mm. They gave G-Rap 15 They gave, I mean, they gave G-Rap 25 Kane 25 everybody, Biz, all the way down the line. Get to me. You can you can you getting twelve five, and I had a real problem with that, and uh, I I expressed over the telephone that that wasn't cool. I wasn't having it. Um, Lenny said something along the lines of, "You'll get what what we give you Damn. and be happy with it." Um, that led to me going up there with 
a, a, a small uh, <laughs> group of friends. A small group of associates. Uh, friends. Yes. Uh, yes. Two two of which were one one was J. Ru the Damager before oh, wow. he ever came out as J. Ru the Damager. Uh, out loud, also known as Blase Blase. Mm. Um, then I had a my man Harry. Uh, rest in peace, Harry Fobbs was with me. Big big giant dude was used to do security for Kane and um <laughs> and my boy Sha from from my from my projects who who was a no nonsense type of dude but we basically um went up there on some real not playing around shit and basically forced the issue and um they uh, casually convinced them to give you yeah, the 25 it was it was actually no physical <clears throat> hands put on anybody it was just more of a a, a they got the message right. from how I came in the room, and there may have been, there may have been a bullet left with somebody's initials on it, but that's. <laughs> so you were still in there. college at the time, or were you? No, no, no. I graduated. I graduated in '88. So all so of this. You, is so post you were just. So you were just trying. You know, this was gonna be your living, and I didn't know that though. I just I just knew that if everybody got twenty five thousand, I'm getting twenty five thousand. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's all I knew. Um, you're not gonna. All of a sudden, I'm I'm the dude y'all gonna start cutting cutting course with. Like I'm not having that. So uh, I wound up getting what I was supposed to get, um, but I didn't get what I was supposed to get in the end anyway. But go ahead, sorry, I mean digress. <laughs> so you start working on this record uh, around '89. Um, one thing that people always talk about then is a lot of times uh, Marley was a master programmer, but a lot of times people would come with their own records. Yeah, um, that's so, true. So with the samples on the record, like, you know, were those all all yours or were they just a good majority of the samples on Take a Look Around are from directly from my mother's record collection. Oh, wow. My mother and my uncle's records. Uh, I would go up there with a plastic, you know, shopping bag from the grocery store. I would put records that I liked in that bag and I would take them up to his house. Uh, and I'd be like, I want to I want to rhyme over this. I like this loop right here, you know. But I, I didn't know how to work any equipment, so I couldn't push a button. I couldn't, I just knew, catch this piece, catch, catch it here, catch it there. He would do that, and then he would get crazy with the drums, do his thing with the 808s, make it sound big, and add, add his program. And I mean, I never take nothing away from what Marley did as a producer, as a programmer, um, super talented dude. He did a great job on the tracks that he made for me. Um, but I was the first artist that he had worked with up to that point that he actually gave co-production credit to. If you read the credits on the album, mm -hmm. um, I got co-production credit. <clears throat> and the reason that he gave me co-production credit was because Kane and Biz both, um, may maybe even G-Rap and Polo, but definitely Kane and Biz, um, uh, had 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 issue with the way he got full credit for for producing the records, and they felt like like as I was, they were bringing a lot of the tracks to the table, and um, I think he had kind of the relationships with Biz and Biz and with Kane sort of went a little bit left, and they started using outside production. Biz actually produced his whole next album by himself with no absolutely no Marley hmm. influence, um, and. So he realized that, you know, I need to change a little bit. I, I shouldn't be 
taking all the credit. Um, I should give people credit where it's due, and I, I was, I, I was able to get that credit. Cool. Um, the first uh, single uh, video that I remember seeing it. MTV Raps used to burn it all the time was me and the Biz. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of Biz, um, so how did that uh, come about? He was supposed to be on the record, right? Yeah, the, when we did the song, that beat was a beat that I heard in Marley's crib, I want to say six months or so before we actually recorded the song. I heard the beat. I was like, what's that? Nah, that's for Biz. That's for Biz. <laughs> like, come on. Nah, that's for Biz. And then when things kind of went left with their relationship, Marley um, was didn't have a use for that beat. So s- six months later, I'm like, yo, whatever happened with that, 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 that one beat? He was like, what beat? He went into some little tape and went through a bunch of them. That's it. That's the one. Yo, he's not using it. You want to use it? I was like, yeah, I would love to use that joint. I said, um, but um, I could see, I could hear Biz Ramen on it with me. Well, ask him, maybe he'll do it. I said, all right, I'm going to write it. I wrote my verse, wrote Biz's verse, verses. Um, I spit my verses, and then I spit his verses. But I changed my voice so that when he got the tape, he would know when his parts came and when my parts came. So it was a reference track. It was a reference track. Yeah. So, um, and, and, you know, this wasn't unusual. You know, Kane wrote a lot of Biz's right. records back then, too. And and I, it was explained to me that that's how Kane did it. He would say it, and then Biz would mimic it. So that's what I was doing. Um, when it came time for Biz to, you know, record the song, reached out to him. He's like, I'll do it, but I'm not coming to Molly's house. Again, I mentioned the relationship was a little bit off at that time, mm-hmm. basically due to the lack of credit being given on the production on the early records. Biz was kind of, he just kind of drew a line in the sand. It was like, if you want me to be there on the record... <laughs> Bring the beat to my house. We'll redo it, and we'll record it here. And Marley was like, "Nah, we're not doing that. We're not mm. doing that." And I was like, "So what are we gonna do?" He's like, "Yo, I think it's kind of dope how it is. Let's leave it like that. You know what I'm saying? You you, you kind of sound like him a little bit. You know, let's let's put it out and see if people think that it's really him. And you know, I'm I'm a new guy. I don't you know. I'm like, I just wanna I just wanna wreck it out. I'm like, okay, if you think you know, you you the guy with all the hits, so. If you think that's a cool idea, let's go with it. I, I I wasn't so sure about it, but I went with the flow. And he was right. I mean, it shit popped. It came, it came off. I know Biz didn't wasn't super happy about I'm it. Sure. Um, <laughs> who has the paper mache, Bismarck doll? Uh, good question. You know, I took I took I got pictures on my phone that I took. Um, because uh, Ego Trip Ego magazine Trip. had owned it at one point. Oh wow! They did a poster. It was in they the took, book. Yeah, they took yeah. pictures with everybody in the world hip hop. I don't know what that I don't know what that doll is. The last I heard, it was in a museum in Seattle. If there is such a museum in Seattle, <laughs> um, but that's what I, that's the last thing I had heard. Mm. Um, but uh, did you find that you got pigeonholed for that? Because we were talking about uh, Cold Chillin' in general. Like they had a knack for like first singles not sounding nothing like the album. So, you know, Granddaddy IU had this is a recording, which was nothing like the album. Genius had Come Do Me, which was nothing. Right. Like his album, and then we were saying the first album has a take a look around has a very deep, almost serious vibe to it. Outside of the battle tracks, there's a lot of deep moments on the album, and then yeah. you know, me and the biz was kind of like a jokey kind of a cut. Like, yeah. did you think that 
you know, did that kind of like the impression for people who hadn't heard the album? Because that was the only thing I'd heard from you outside of Symphony. So at the time, I didn't hear Letter to the Better because yeah. I was still young and there was no video. So I didn't see a video. So buying it, I was expecting more like that. And then the album just, you know, you had a lot of heavier stuff on the album. So did you find that press or media at the time, you know, or people were expecting more of that and then the album was just much more social commentary? All I know is I didn't want that to be the single. Mm. Really? And I put my foot down and I said, I don't want this to be the single. And because it didn't, it didn't represent the album at, in any way or me as an artist in any way. It right. was like it was like a lighter track. It was a cool, you know, it was a cool little uh, fun track. But, you know, I felt like, damn, y'all, y'all that much relying on business popularity that y'all got to put this record out as the first single. Um, I said no I don't want this to be the first single and then Benny Medina Benny Medina who was I think the president of Warner Brothers at the time um, basically said in a conference call that um, if this isn't the single then we can't guarantee you that you'll have another single yeah ooh something along those lines and uh, as the new guy just trying to come out I fell in line um, because I wanted my record to come out, but uh, yeah, that was that was basically what was what was said to me, and um, so I kind of had to had had to play ball. So, so uh, when you look at the album, though, <clears throat> and then being a young artist, I mean, I guess you had to be what twenty? How old were you? Twenty twenty one? I was twenty two when I recorded twenty two biz record. Yeah, but it's a real mature album in terms of content and you know variety, and you're covering a lot of issues. I mean, what was the writing process like? Did you have the, were the, did the beats come first? Did the lyrics come first? You know, what was the writing process like for that album? Back then it was, um, I was writing a lot of songs without actually having beats, which is kind of weird. When I listen, when I think about it now, it's weird, but uh, I was writing songs with no music at all in mind and then trying to fit the music with it. In some cases, uh, I would hear the loop like for example, Brooklyn Battles was a was a was one of my mother's records, and when I heard that loop, I knew exactly what I wanted to rhyme about, and uh, wrote it wrote it you know sort of to that loop in my head because mm -hmm. I didn't have it looped. I had no way of looping the record unless I did a pause tape. I wasn't going to be able to you know have that that loop repeat over and over again. So I wrote the song based on that music, but uh. That was the that was the writing process for me back then. It's way different now, but back then it was just I had ideas. I knew I wanted to rhyme about a particular topic, um, and I just attacked it, wrote it, and then fit fit it to. I waited till I found a beat that fit it. Mm. So did you did you like consciously make an effort to cover like figure like okay I'm gonna have one record like if you look at Post and High. So, you know, like a storytelling and, you know, then you look at, um, you know, obviously you have Me in a Biz, which is a party record. You have what, my favorite cut on album, which is Reminisce. Yeah. Um, you know, like, w were you conscious saying, like, okay, I got to have a record that falls into this category? A nah. record of, or it just kind of naturally progressed that way? Yeah, no, nah, I was just making songs. Like, I just, I would, if, if, if it was a beat that I thought lent itself to the rhyme that I wrote, I just did it. And it kind of, whatever it turned into, turned into that's what it was i knew i wanted to have some straight battle lyric joints on there you know can't stop Got the, the bum rush, rush. Mm -hmm. records like that i knew i wanted to definitely uh flex over the symphony beat again because you know i felt like 
I kind of got the short end of the stick because everybody else got to write their rhyme mm-hmm. to that song, and I kind of was stuck with an old rhyme that I had in my head, and so I wanted to sort of bring that bring that song back and show people what I would have maybe said if I had the opportunity to write just like uh, the rest of the fellas. So I did the four minus three joint like on that, but um, for the most part, these songs were sort of they took they took their own shape man it, it the album took its own shape as i as 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 we went along um when i listened to the title track right take a look around was it inspired by gil scott heron absolutely yeah because you percent because obviously the sample but even yeah. the the style of yeah. where you put in it down what he did record. on that what he did over that beat is what i just basically did over, right on, on my album the same exact concept yeah um totally and that's the gil scott record was from my mother's collection mm. from her collection um I didn't even know who he was until I started listening to her records and looking for beats, looking for loops from my own album. And I was like, this is dope. Oh, yeah. I could do something. I want to do a poem. Yeah. You know, I want to do a poem. I, I, at that time, I said, I'm going to do a poem on every album. Uh, I didn't know that I was going to do that, but I wound up doing it. I did it for like three. Walking ma- through the valley. Yeah. And, two. Yeah. I, I don't know if I did. I didn't, I didn't quite do a poem on. Actually, I did. I did one on. On sitting on Chrome too, and then I stopped. Any truth to the stories, like on posting how keep moving on? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah moving on. I was gonna ask oh, yeah. you the, you know, um, Dre just hit him with a blow to the temple. Yeah, <laughs> that know, was like, that was somewhat fancy. I mean, uh, it was dealing with you know, back then the club Union Square, um, which I had only been to twice, um, actually maybe once, because I was a Latin Quarters guy. I would go to Latin Quarters every week. But Union Square was happening at the same time. Union Square was a lot bigger club. Um, I think it probably was a thousand people, and had two levels. And the Latin quarters was 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 violent. Like stuff was was always happening. Chains was getting snatched. Dudes was getting stomped out, and all of that. But Union Square was like on steroids mm. because of the amount of people that was in there. Like the the when somebody got rushed in there, it was like full out stampedes going on like like and 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 the fights were bigger it was like more stuff happening so when i went when i went to union square i was like this is a little too much like it's too much going on like it's it's too many crews of hoodlums walking around looking for trouble like it was like it was just a different it was a heightened level of fear going on in there like latin quarters was a little more more mellow i actually knew most of the dudes that was doing the criminal activity in latin quarters so i was always safe Union Square, I was like, I don't know who these people are, and I, I'm not coming back here. It's just too crazy in here. But yeah, it was based on, you know, some of those experiences um, when I did go to Union Square that one time. The Merlin with the Sterling, um, take your chick. That's the Sonic and Dougie is up at Union Square. Now, dead ass. When I still hear like anyone name is Merlin, or when I even see a picture of an old Sterling, that's the song. That's the bar that I think of. Like their correlation is for whatever programmed into me. That that line, man, it's so funny to me. I've never met anybody named Merlin. I don't Word, know. No, it just rhymes with I Sterling. Merlin. Yeah. Merlin. I had a question. Um, there was there was a lot of rhyme patterns on the record that were different. Like maybe next time it's like oh, the Sherman perm, the very squirt. Yeah. Like in the middle of the song, like these are, th- and I never heard nothing like that again. It was just from me or period. Period. Yeah. Like I never heard anybody rhyme like that. Like the, just the. The, the rhyme scheme I'm not gonna I mean it's trite to ask how'd you come up with that but <laughs> you were probably just watching cartoons or, or do whatever and it just popped in your head but th- there's that and there's I got to 
which was a call and response with James with Brown. Yeah. yeah, so it's like, you know, like these are things, I mean, they might have been done before and I didn't hear it, but you didn't really hear it. Like people would get on a record and they would just rhyme, but it's kind of like the, the little clever ways of bending the rhymes and then the, the interplay with the sound. I remember I first heard I got to, in the car. Yeah. I had the cassette and my folks been had split, but for whatever reason, my pops took, um, my mother and my father met to take me out to eat because I was messing up in school and running around crazy. And we were playing the song and my mother's like, why does he keep repeating himself? <laughs> and my father's like, shut up, this is good, this is rap. You don't know nothing about rap, this is good. And I remember my, my first, every time I think of Agata, I, I think of that, but it's just like, a theme throughout the song and I never heard I mean maybe later but up to that I never heard that so what was the process like for that because usually nobody would rhyme yeah. over the voice like usually the you always want to when you're making a beat at that point Take you wanted to get out. the voice yeah, out yeah, yeah. right and maybe you add in a hook but you're like I'm gonna some people like RZA made it was popularized that rhyme and over singing loops and stuff but you know to you for you to answer the sample well Mr. C made that beat and he he made the beat, he played it for me, and he was like, you know, I don't know how you would rhyme over this, but I just think it's just an ill beat. And I was like, I know how I can rhyme over mm. it. Um, and he's, I just said, I'm going to write this, this song. And I wrote it. This was actually brought up in an interview recently, too, that um, nobody had done that particular technique before I did it on, on Agata. And... Um, it just, I, I was always trying to be creative and different and push the envelope as much as I can, even with the rhyme schemes, like you mentioned, or maybe next time. Um, just trying to be clever and slick and, and, and show skill. That's that's what I was really, on that album, I was just trying to show skill. People didn't really know much about me. Um, they knew the symphony, but they didn't really know much else about me, and I wanted to prove that. I had the skills to be on these on the record with all these or on the label with all these great great artists. And speaking of Mr. C uh, and liner notes, we were saying before there was like Mr. C, in the liner notes, you said Mr. C gets the dills for giving the dope beat to BDK, and I always wanted to know what cane beat that was that you were supposed remember. to have. I don't remember. <laughs> See again, liner notes, secrets, liner like, notes. It's all uh, like when he line, might remember. Yeah, because I'm because when you said when it was that I used to always say, well, what, taste the chocolate and take a look around came out like the same time. I wonder what beat that was. So I'm thinking like it maybe, like what what Mr. C did for Kane, and I'm thinking maybe Mr. Pitiful or I don't even I don't even I'd know have to hear him. Yeah, and, you know, but or maybe it was something he gave to Kane and Kane never used it, just like the biz, yeah. thing, you know, because back then. But I just it was just you had very interesting shout outs in there. Like there was just, you know, like all you such and such and such, like you were dissing people and you would have like big long words and you would just make up these crazy disses in like the diss section. And it, yeah. was, just, it was just. I dissed a guy from college. Um, <laughs> Cause he had like said something like, like, oh, you're never gonna like do anything. Like you're not good like that. Like nobody's gonna like, like you as a rapper. Like he, he made it. He made it a point to like tell me that this ain't gonna happen for you. You're not good enough to to to, to be on the level with these people. Right. And uh, so, you know, I shouted him out 
on there <laughs> in, in, in that negative way. And of course, it got back, you know, to him later after the record came out and all all our mutual friends was giving him shit about it and stuff like that. And uh, he's from Rhode Island. So I, I, I actually went up to do a show recently in Rhode Island and I asked the fellas like, yo, can tell him to come out? Because I had seen him in, you know, 30 years or whatever it was, 20-something years. <laughs> I just wanted to just like say what's up to him. He's like, yo, man, he still to this day <laughs> says, yo, I didn't say that. Oh, man. I'm like, yo, that's like mad old. It's like that's years ago. That's so he didn't come out. He had passed away. Oh, oh wow. shit. And I felt terrible because I wanted to see him just to be like, yo, that wasn't nothing, man. That wasn't nothing. I wanted to give him a hug, and they was like, yeah, he got cancer. I was like, oh, man. Wow. They didn't want to tell me at first, and then dude was just like, he just kept, just told me. It's was pretty tough. Wow. How long did it take you to um, complete the album? See, it came out in 90. We started recording it in 89. I want to say probably seven months or so, seven, eight months, because yeah. driving back and forth from Brooklyn to, you know, at this time, you know, Marley's living in um, Spring Valley. Ooh, right. house so hits, yeah. It's an ill drive um, up there to, to, you know, it's like hours, two, almost two hours driving up. So I would spend nights. I would drive up, like, on, say, like a Friday. Uh, we record Friday evening, Friday night, go to sleep, on the couch down there, wake up, record again. I don't remember if I was even bringing toiletries and stuff. It's crazy. I'm thinking <laughs> about, like, I don't recall ever, like, washing up or <clears throat> taking a shower or none of that. It was just like, Get up in the morning, record some more, and then leave that night. Um, Craig was Craig. Would, a lot of nights, Craig would be sleep there too, cause he'd be having a session after me. So I'd leave, he'd stay, do his. He was working on his record too. God, well, now that's more like it. Came out right after, and you had "Give It to Me," which was the, the yeah. little duo track with you and Craig. Yeah. And it, it sound it sounded like it was, they were done around the same time. Yeah. So it was interesting. Um, and you. So you started recording in eighty. When did when was the release date? Because the video came out the summer of ninety. Just, like just past the anniversary, I think. Yeah. Uh, July twenty fourth or something like that. I never. I, I I don't know the actual release dates of any of my albums, but the fans know. Yeah, I don't yeah. think like back then we didn't know release dates. It was more like word of mouth, like yeah, like, yo, or you hear somebody playing it, like oh, it's out. That's out. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, you, or you might walk into the record store and just be like, oh shit, it's up there. Yeah, like yeah. you just you were just. Or you would just keep, if it was something you were anticipating, you just keep asking until they say, yeah, we got it. Like, it wasn't no, like... Yeah, that's true, too. Like, so what's going through your mind now? You got the album done. You got your 25 racks. You're probably doing your shows, getting your little bit of change over there, whatever, whatever. What's going through? Do you feel under pressure? Like, damn, my album about to come out. You know, what's going through your mind? Like, you, you probably know you got a good album, but are you wondering how it's going to be received? You know, how are you feeling? I'm really, uh, at this point, I'm... I'm trying to get used to this newfound celebrity mm. in the neighborhood because, uh, you know, um, although my mom moved us to Flatbush um, when I was a sophomore in high school, we moved to Flatbush, but um, my grandmother still lived in the projects, so I was literally still going there every week to visit her, to see friends in the neighborhood, hang out a little bit or whatever. And um, all of a sudden, stuff got weird. Like, it was my first taste of, okay, you got a video out, and now you're, people look, they sort of don't know how to approach you. Mm. People that you used to be just talk regular with didn't know how to really come up to you and say and talk to you. And um, 
So I was dealing with a lot of that. Like there was some dudes that on the other side of projects that were not not necessarily nice dudes that were known for robbing people and stuff like that. So, um, you know, word got back to the other side of the projects that I was over there with Craig G one day and, you know, they mounted up and came over there to kind of see if we had any of that jewelry that we were wearing <laughs> in the video. They were hoping that we had the big cable chains on and all of that. But, of course, you know, dudes are not stupid. We're not wearing no cables out. And, and that's my neighborhood, but... Um, that's Howard or that's... That's Howard. Yeah. But uh, I was never, like, a real flashy dude like that anyway, like, even as a kid, like, when when jewelry and all that was, was, was popping. I just... For me, it was too much stress. You know what I mean? Uh... So, you know, but the dynamics of the, of living or being in my neighborhood started to change. So I was dealing with that. I wasn't even thinking about, you know, the album was about to come out and the pressure and mm. all of this. It was it, I was excited that the record was going to come out. I didn't know what um the show thing was going to be. I didn't know what that was going to be like um because pre pre album coming out, I wasn't getting booked for shows. Okay. Um the only shows I was doing Every now and then, uh, Mr. C would call me up, and they would take me on the road with him and Kane and Scoob and Scrap, and I would roll, roll out with them, and Kane would bring me on stage, do my verse to the symphony, and I'd go backstage, and I'd be chilling. And at the after party, there was a zillion girls in the lobby because everybody wanted to meet Kane, and you just <laughs> hung around until... All all the left all the girls was taken and then the the leftovers was all for you. Got the residual. Yeah, it was all which was always a good deal. It was a good deal for me. <laughs> so were you thinking like were you were you were you doing anything else like for money or were you working or were like you thinking if this rap shit don't work it I'm gonna do X. Well, you gotta remember I got I got that twenty five so I was good. Like I actually got my own apartment. Um, that was the first thing I did. Um, the the timing the timing on getting that twenty five was actually pretty crazy. Um, my mom, you know, I graduated from college, so I got the degree, but she didn't see me going out on no interview, job interviews, nothing. Like she said, "What's going on? You know, you what's, what's happening?" I'm like, oh, "I got this, you know, this music thing. It's like it's starting to kind of bubble. It's some something, something's about to happen." Beginning of ninety, I believe it was. Yeah, she. Now I got my advance eighty nine, so she told me, "I want you out by your birthday." She 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 made this that statement and and I don't think she fully meant it all the way but she was just getting frustrated with me not having a job not really having money ever you know what I'm saying Craig was hanging up staying at my house a lot he was skipping school getting in trouble with his mother and he was only 16 and me and him splitting slices of pizza just to you know just to get through the day you know it was like like literally like living like that and uh, so she gave me this ultimatum. I want you out by your birthday. And my birthday was going to be in December. And I got my advance in, like, November. And got my first apartment. And I was out by my birthday. And I think she was, like, pretty shocked by that. And I've been on my own ever since. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And Craig, Craig must, Craig's a lot young, so he must have been, like, a little brother. He was, like, a little brother. And, you know, he was, he was, um, he was a lot of fun. He was hilarious. Dope, dope, you know, dope MC off the top of the head, and yeah, he's crazy. He actually helped me p prepare for uh, new music seminar. Um, I, I did the new music seminar. I want to say it was ninety. Must have been, must have been ninety, ninety or ninety one. 
but he he helped me prepare for that like we would we would just go back and forth uh top of the head just battling back and forth back and forth okay um another question i had was one of my favorite cuts was always go where i send the which was a b-side to moving on it yeah. wasn't on the album was that something that was for the album and then it was just a uh like almost like a not a leftover but just something didn't make the cut or was that something you made specifically we gonna do a b-side it was a joint that was made with uh my boys icy rock and i said let's put it on my album because mm-hmm. it was already a song we made it it was a dope joint it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be specifically for my album my man unique produced it uh and i sort of brought the brought the record to the table and said marley yo i want this on the album and he was like well i can't be giving no new dudes you know production credit he 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 refused to give unique his production <laughs> credit so he was like we could put we we could say Mr. we could put mr c's name but we that, that that's the best i could do so wow. if, if you read the credits you'll see mr c is credited with producing mm. it but it was produced by unique and then, but then you decided to use it on the on the 12 inch instead of on the album yeah yeah which 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 it was just like a you know back then you could just drop these records like i, I just thought it was a good record i thought it was a good way to sort of get them out there too and uh it was just a clever cool record and it wasn't anything like marley wasn't doing beats like that no like you could tell by the main vocal sample he wouldn't use nothing like that right that was the Part. genius of, of unique unique like if he had really taken production seriously like going forward he'd probably be like a kanye west type dude right oh, now yeah, like he was just so he, far ahead of his time and he was just he was a genius that way. Like he just he he heard stuff and he he would just make it and it was like yeah, that's way that's dope. It's like nothing like that. Yeah. Saturday Night Live, you know, like these, oh yeah, that that chop. That I did an article. I did a whole article about how he would do the half bar loop yeah. before it was popular. Yeah, and and you know, I always just thought that was a real interesting record. I remember reading in the sources somewhere they gave the moving on single a poor review for whatever reason. The single because it was a remix or something. That was when the source was good. But they were like, but that B-side is crazy. <laughs> that was, yeah. And I saw the cover with you by the steeple on it, and I just, I bought the 12, the single, and I was like, this is just totally out there. And, you know, Reminisce, obviously, that's your joint. Yeah, that's my shit. So, I mean, you know, there was that posse cut, and I, I'm thinking maybe it was between that or Reminisce, you had to pick one or, yeah. or, or whatever, but I just wanted to know what the story, you know. You mentioned moving on. Um, that beat was actually uh that was actually a, a Marley beat. He made that for Bell Biv DeVoe. The remix of Moving On, not the album version. No, the album version. Okay. Yeah. He I believe that's one of the joints he made for them that they didn't they didn't choose. And maybe next time was kinda also like had a new jack vibe to it. It did, it did. Um That was C. That was C. Yeah. I believe so. Um, that was, I think that was C. 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 D. I'd say one of the most lyrically we were talking about this. The, one of the most dynamic records is the other side of town. Like it's just so yeah, it's, vivid. Yeah, it's perfect picture. And it's just like it's just relevant today with all the the, the class issues yeah. that are going on. Yeah. And it just there's always certain songs when you first hear them because, like I said, my my pops and I would absorb records in the car. And uh, we went. We took a trip up to Connecticut, and he was like, "And in walked a half dead rich bitch, yo. They must be insane, <laughs> a fucking petty." And he just started cracking up. He was like, "Yo, this is crazy." 
you know, parents ain't supposed to like rap, but he's like, yo, this guy, he said, yo, this guy's pretty smart. Like my father said that then. Mm. Wow. And it was just, um, you know, just the dynamics of, of class and, you know, that whole thing about the, working in the hospital. Like it was just so vivid. Like I could just see it. Yeah. Like in walks a half dead rich bitch, <laughs> they must be insane. So I mean, it like we were talking about, you were pretty smart as as a kid. Um, you know, you got you know your grades and stuff, but just the vocabulary and just the the knack for storytelling and just the just just the sense of awareness to 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 write about it in that fashion. English um, was by far my favorite subject, and uh, I love creative writing way before I ever wrote a rhyme. Um, when I was in, uh, you shouted out one of your teachers in yeah, the line, Ms. Rebecca, Miss Fulton, yeah, right. yeah. Rebecca okay. Fulton. Okay, she was like a huge, had a huge impact on me when I was seventh grade, eighth grade, and um, when I was in seventh, I want to say seventh grade, they gave us a test. Um, it was like a, one of these. I don't know if it was a test. We would call it a test, but it was one of these standardized uh, state sort of tests. Uh, I don't know exactly what they were trying to test. But uh, they gave us a blank piece of paper and they gave us like a a bank of maybe 25 words. And they said, make a story out of these 25 words. And it was like random words, fire hydrant. I think I remember those tests. Yeah. yeah. And I wrote this like story using these words and um, I forgot all about it. And then maybe a month or two later, you know, um, our teacher was talking to us, and I guess, I, I don't remember if we actually had to have names on the paper or not, but she just, she was like, you know, we had, whatever happened with that test or whatever, she said, well, it was, you know, we graded it and whatever, you, you guys won't get your grades. But she was like, you know, there was this one, there was this one story, this one kid, we don't know who it was, but he told this story, and she started going into detail, and it was my story. Mm. And I was like, wow. I never said any, I never told anybody that it was my story, but I was just like, to myself, like, wow. That was my story. I went home and told my mother, but I never yep. said anything to the teacher. So wow. who, who, what, what was the, um, who was in control of the artwork for the album? You know, whose idea was that? Where did that come from? That was me. Um, the idea came from me. It was from a uh, Curtis Mayfield uh, yes. cover that from my mother's collection, mother's red collection. Uh he was sitting on I a, see it. he was sitting on a hill and I wanted to like pretty much try to duplicate that cover. And so I uh, went to George DeBose who uh, was the photographer for all the Coachella projects back then and I brought the album cover and I told him that this is what I was going for. He scouted locations, he found uh this this place in Coney Island cuz I wanted the project buildings behind me. I wanted that was like an important part of it. Um, I wanted to show that the projects were behind me, but I was looking sort of, I'm going somewhere else. Like I'm leaving that behind me and I'm going somewhere else. And, uh, so that was what I was trying to illustrate. And the Curtis Mayfield cover was the influence, was the influence. So yeah, I see it now, now that you mention it, yeah, I see it, but I didn't connect the dots before. What's funny though is, <clears throat> and you don't know this, but the whole reason we're sitting here, like we came up with this, this series, this buried treasure series is because of you believe it or not because me one day me and jay are on twitter and we're talking about your album right Uh then just blaze hops into the conversation yeah Yeah. so he starts talking about it 
And then all of a sudden you hop into it yeah. and other people jump into the conversation. Like the, it went on for like two days. Like you got removed yeah. from it, but people, and so I went home and I'm thinking, I'm like, yo, like there's mad people out here that certain albums really resonate with them and become a, take a special place in their heart. Yeah. So that's when I hit up Jay, I'm like, yo, I got an idea, you know, like let's do this thing. Let's revisit these albums because obviously there's people that feel a certain way. And I also think with the newer generation, there's people that want to revisit, you know, like there's those kids that want to know what, what's the dope albums that people don't talk about as much, yeah. you know? So credit to you for, for basically cool. that album come, helping us come up with that idea. And Thank that's you. why we're here. That's awesome. I didn't know that. That's yeah. dope. Yeah. You know, and I, I also think we were talking about earlier, you, uh, MF Doom, like certain guys just have this longevity and you have multiple sections of your career. And I think a lot of people, when you kind of reinvented with uh, disposable arts yeah. or you reach the up, you know, you reach the left coast with sitting on Chrome or whatever, like, I mean, even take a look around, you have the ER on your name. So it's Master Ace, not Master yeah. Ace. So it's almost like it's a separate, like this happened all the time with groups like Earth, Wind & Fire had two albums on Warner Brothers before they got with Columbia with a totally different band, but they still have Maurice White. So when Earth, Wind & Fire fans don't know about their first two albums, only diehards know. Yeah. And, it, you know, so it's almost like it was part of the cold chilling stable. Your name was spelled different. You weren't really producing your stuff yet. You didn't have the INC thing involved. It right. wasn't the, you know, long, hot summer and forward with words and and uh strick and everybody so it was it's almost kind of like isolated it's like your first album and it's isolated so it's it's like when you do shows now you go to europe with karen or whoever and, yeah. and do a show do you perform these cuts or is it just like lost on a newer generation it's lost uh the only place that i do songs off take a look around pretty much is the uk wow yeah uh, well they're up on they're up on it and i get a lot of uh over 30 heads that come to the show specifically to hear those records mm. um it's like a weird sort of separation in the audience when i do the older records you see this pocket of people that are like ah. and then i do something off disposable arts and those people are like kind of standing there and everybody else is going crazy and so they're just kind of soaking it in um there's almost no overlap which is weird it's like you're either this or you're that you're either either you're, you know uh an old you know, Master Ace head from first album or you're a, sort of a new generation disposable arts going forward fan. Um, but it's cool, man. I, as long as they all come to the show, <laughs> I try to give everybody something, it, you know, something they want. It's almost by record label because sitting on sitting on Chrome and Slaughterhouse is like the delicious vinyl era. Wake, yeah. wake Me When I'm Dead and like all these records that came out where you had that style, the offbeat, onbeat style, yeah. and you had the the, I, the INC thing, and then you have Take a Look Around, which was like the extension of the symphony and the prism stuff, and then you have Disposable Arts Forward, and then you have you know EMC, and then you have the record with Doom. I mean, you just have so many different things, and, and it's like, it's just totally generational, almost, you know, like. It, That's it, the cool thing, is if, if I can drop a project that's good enough to resonate with a new a new legion of young fans that are 18 years old, then I've accomplished something uh, great. And you'll always be working. Yeah. <laughs> you'll always yeah. be working. Did the, did the change from master to master, was that, that was significant? I, want, I wanted to change the spelling of ace, too. I wanted to be M-A-S-T-A-A-S-E. 
but Delicious Vinyl vetoed the ASE because they were like, it, we're going to have to rebrand you. Like, people aren't going to know that it's you, and it's going to be confusing. And, like, they talked me out of... I, I wanted no association with the cold chilling mm. Master Ace because my experience with them was, was not a good one. So it was like a reboot for yourself. For me, it was, definitely, definitely. Mm. And the cold chilling, um, is are they part of the reason why that record isn't on Spotify? Yeah, well, it's Warner Brothers. Warner, Warner Brothers, Brothers took 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 it down. Uh, they, I think they took a lot of their Warner Brothers stuff down. I don't know exactly what their plan is, uh, but uh, yeah, it's that's definitely the album that uh, I haven't really. It, it it got it got my start, but I didn't really make a lot of money on that record. And then there's mul- there's been multiple there's been reissues of that record as which, well which was whack to me you know them putting out something that says the best of like that's like yeah the of, like, that, that was like a slap in my face really mm. yeah with the star on the front it's just a, it yeah. was the same album it's just same says album. the best the ace wow and you know the take a look around that was different. fly tie yeah that was fly tie. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> the original take a look around you know because you have the photo collage on the inside and you have the uh no no i'm thinking of another record but on the back but then there's there's just Maybe it's the the center label. It's that other pink label when they started. Like they did that with Genius too. They put it out as past the bone. Mm. Uh, words from the Genius. So they were doing that. Cold Chillin was doing that with a lot of those records. You know, <laughs> later on. Um, Land speed. Yeah. So what else do you got going on now? Like what's going on right now? Right. Um. I'm in the studio. Uh. I've been working on this new album. Uh. With a producer by the name of Kick Beats. He's doing a whole entire album. He uh, produced two songs on the EMC album. Super talented dude. He lives out in California. Um, I mean, he's he's the he's the right person for this for this album. Um, it's coming out on penalty. You know, I had to find a producer that wasn't sample heavy, but still sounded dope, and that was super hard. Mm. Um, I really I didn't even sign the deal with them until i found the right producer and we're 14 songs in it's going to be about 16 songs um the name of the album is going to be called the falling season it's going to take you back to my four years of high school coincidentally we talked about quite a bit about that this album takes you through those four years of of my high school and what was happening in my neighborhood in my life in school everything around surrounding uh, me those four years of high school I'm super excited about that, man. Um, I'm about to go on tour with EMC. We're going out to uh, to Europe in November, and then we're going to Australia in December, and um, that's gonna f- that's gonna finish out the year. And then at the top of the year, we'll be dropping. I'll be dropping the falling season and hitting the road f- as as solo artists. So when can we expect the album? It's gonna be top of the year, uh, first quarter probably. Um, originally it was gonna be uh, fourth quarter this year, but I don't want to rush it because I really like where it's going, and um, I don't want to rush it. I want it to be right. So it's gonna be digital release only, or no, no, no. Physical, all all formats. It's gonna be a, a a full release, man. I'm actually gonna probably do a a deal overseas with a company over there to release it over there because I want it to be released properly in Europe because I have a huge fan base there and they deserve to get the record the right way. Dope. Yeah. So where can everyone find you at right now? You can get me on Twitter. Um, at Master Ace. Real simple. M A S T A A C E. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Master Ace Picks. And I'm on Facebook as well. Uh, I don't know, Master Ace Official, I guess it is. And I'm, I'm, I'm everywhere, man. I'm easy to find, real easy. One, uh, one last question for you, not hip hop related. Okay. 
like I mentioned, I'm a, I consider myself probably when people say true New Yorker, like passionate New Yorker, love New York. Yes. Will die for the city. Yes. See a Knicks hat. See my Knicks hat, but I know you're an Eagles fan. Yes. And I'm an Eagles fan too, so I get so much heat over this. How did you become an Eagles fan? I became an Eagles fan because I hated the Dallas Cowboys as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I became an Eagles fan. I'm dead serious. I, as a kid in the 70s, hated the Cowboys because they always won. Mm. They always won. I hated the star on the helmet. I hated everything about them. I hated Roger Starback. I hated Tony Dorsett. Like, they would win games, like, at the last second. It just pissed me off. And my uncle would always laugh. Like, every time they would pull out a game and win at the end, he would always, like, just laugh and just <laughs> annoy me further. So that just... That just made it even more hatred. So when I was a kid, I rooted for every team that gave the Cowboys even half of a hard time. Mm -hmm. Vikings, you know, Rams, uh, anybody who just at least gave them some problems. Um, 1980, the Cowboys had to go into Philly to play the Eagles um, in the NFC Championship game. It was one of the teams that I liked because they gave them a hard time. Eagles beat them on that field that day. Rob Montgomery broke the long run, and I I was an Eagle fan ever since. Mm, dope. Yeah, well, I became one. Just I fuck with all players from Syracuse. So oh. when they drafted McNabb, I was like, that was it. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna fuck with them. Plus, the Giants play in Jersey, so I don't consider them a New York team if they don't play the city. But that's another story. But yo, appreciate you spending the time with us. Definitely, this is Dis fun, man. Yeah, discussing yeah, man. thorough, album. thorough and cool. Yeah, yeah, dope. But uh, we really appreciate it. Look forward to the new project. Yes, sir. Look forward to seeing you staying young. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't stay young, brother, but no. we can just do what we can do to stay healthy and stay fit and stay active, man. Yes, you that's know? that's important, man. That's it. Well, you can't be drinking uh, what are uh, quarter waters? You see, guys can't be drinking in Red Bulls and none of that Red shit Bulls. either. Ah, no, no, that monster sugar, drinks, sugar, that shit's man. poison. But yeah. thanks again for coming through. Appreciate y'all. Sorry, no. Sorry for being late. I'm glad I'm here, man. Sorry, you even when you're late, you on time. Yes. yes, sir. All right, well, this is Elgin Swift, a.k.a. Elgin.com. So open up the dope to the slaughterhouse so I, I can kill a little. I know you wasn't going to get off without that. I wasn't going to get off without that. You know, that's my line, man. When they <laughs> that, yo, man, before I leave this earth, I got to do that on stage. That I, I, got, I got to do that, that verse. You're going to have to figure that out. That verse. Yes. So open up the dope. That pause, that West Coast MC8 pause he put in there. You brilliant, want that? Brilliant. All right. Brilliant. That's your there's your um that's on your bucket list. That's my that's definite bucket list. All right. Well we out though. Peace, y'all. Peace.